Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each Sunday, you'll join us at the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew titled Living the Life of the Beloved and the Belonged. Enjoy. So again, to kind of recap from last week, we, we started now into the Beatitudes themselves, the the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus goes through and says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And as we've been talking about, the, that a one way to sort of understand that blessedness is to think of it as a, as a state of being. That it's not just the idea that, oh, you will have a blessing if, it's not really from that perspective, but it's to say that beloved are you when this is true for you. Now, what's interesting is that you read the Beatitudes, what you discover is that it turns your logic upside down. The things that we would expect would be the result or would be an outcome of blessedness, that's, that's totally different from where Jesus is coming from, right? And so the, the examples that he gives, for example, he said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now we sort of expect that blessed. The, the big one that was, I think, surprising for most of us last week is blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. I mean, that's so, so radically different, right? Because in our world today, we think, well, the way that you find your way through the world, the, the way that you uh, accomplish things in the world, the way that uh, you gain from the world is not by being meek, but by being strong. But what did we discover is the meaning of that word meek in, uh, in the scripture, at least in this scripture. Remember what is meek? How does he, de- how does he define meek? It's that middle place between being extremely angry and being extremely passive. Right? So when we understand it, you see from that perspective, then we understand, okay, now we get what he's trying to say. So the Beatitudes turn human logic upside down. Number two, there's a time and a place for anger, but not for what? <laughs> right, yeah. We talked some last week about righteous anger. And um, that's always kind of one of those things that um, we sometimes, I think, use that phrase, that term, righteous anger to justify those moments when we lose it. All right. And so you have to be careful that, that we're not doing that, you know, but by the same token, there is a time and a place to be angry or to be upset about certain things happening in the world that reflect those things that are certainly not godly. So for example, when, when you look at the abject poverty, for example, you all that went to to uh, Belize, you would, you would look at that and you would say, there's something wrong here, especially in countries where there's no middle class. There's the very rich and there's the very poor, and there doesn't seem to be any sort of a crossover between the two. Or when, when people who cannot speak for themselves suffer injustices, right? I mean, that should, that ought to make us upset. That ought to make us angry in some sense. So there is something to be said for the idea of righteous anger, but always what we have to do is make sure that we don't commingle the righteous anger with whatever our own agenda is, our own selfish motives. Because if you mingle the two, then you're losing the, uh, the perspective, the godly perspective that's needed in that moment. And then thirdly, I want to ask a, a question if I could. Okay. 
Did the people in the Leeds with the art group that went, did they have any problems with the people in town that did have money? In dealing with in, them? Did, in dealing with them. I mean, were, did, was there a barrier put up? Oh, I don't know. Was there? Do you know what she's asking? <laughs> Between people, people that have money, the very rich and the very poor, is there a, like a... Oh, okay, you can answer that. I asked this question to uh, uh, one of the women that I was working with. Yeah. That uh, they find the Americans arrogant, or how do they picture us when we come and give and give? And she said, we look at you as being very blessed. Okay. People that have more than they do are considered to be very blessed by God. Mm -hmm. And they don't seem to resent it. No. Or let it get in the way of their own sort of walk I with God with that group. Yeah. There, I guess there could be some that would. Yeah. Said, the pastor even said, you know, we don't, we can't, we don't really even understand how people that from so far away that don't even know us come here, spend your own money to get here and help us. We, it's just hard for us to comprehend oh. yeah. that people would do that. Yeah. You know? So it's not lost on them. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Did that answer? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. And then the third thing, and this probably fits in just nicely with what you all have said, is God's mercy toward us is the motivation and the power behind our mercy toward each other. See, at the end of the day, sometimes it's easy to be merciful toward others, but there's a lot of times when it's not. And you think, why am I doing this? Right? I mean, to some level, I, on some level, I think that we sort of would wish or hope that when we are merciful toward others, there ought to be some sort of, I don't know, blessing, but just some sort of sense that that is making a difference, right? That, that, that there's not necessarily just that it's in, that I'm doing it just because it, it, there's something in it for me, not that, but it's encouraging when there is, Right. And, and so that because there are times when it's very difficult to resist the temptation to give people what you think they deserve. And mercy, you see, what mercy is, is I'm not giving you what you deserve. But I assure you, I'm thinking about what it is you deserve, right? <laughs> and, and so that's when we have to go back to, well, the very thing that we get annoyed at other people for doing for us, we do 20 times that to God. And how does God respond? He doesn't give us what we deserve, right? In fact, he gives us what we don't deserve. And because he does that, that's the motivation for us to continue to be merciful to each other, even if that people don't deserve it. And that's the struggle, right? So it's not only the motivation, though. The beauty of it is that's also the power. The power to do it is in God's grace because it is not in me to do it consistently over time. I'll do it this much, but then I'm pretty exhausted after that. Thank you. Right. And God will. So that's the idea. You keep pouring God's grace on it and God's grace is what will power you to do it. Even when you think to yourself, there's no, uh, there's no reason. Okay. So now we pick it up with the next, uh, the next beatitude which uh, where in which Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, pure in heart at times can sound to us like perfection, 
like purity. That's not what he's talking about here, all right? The word pure here is the word katharos. That's the Greek word. Uh, what English word looks uh, kind of familiar? Cathartic. You ever heard the word cathartic? If something is cathartic, what does that mean? Clean gel. It's, yeah. That we'll say, oh, that was cathartic, you know, probably just threw up or something, right? But that's, but that's uh, yeah, there's a, there's a sort of an X sort of thing that just happens there. Very cathartic. Yeah, unmixed and pure and cleansed and purged. See, that's the word that, uh, that catharsis means, all right? But the idea here is, is that when he says pure in heart, what he's talking about is that you are single-minded in your devotion and in your motive for serving others. That in other words, it's single-minded versus what the Bible talks about being double-minded. The book of James talks about that, that, that the double-minded man should not expect anything from God. And it makes perfect sense. When we're double-minded, what he's saying is we're sort of, in our brain, we're like two-faced. Is that we're, we're, instead of serving God, it's I'm going to serve God and me. And the problem with serving God and me is that then if I, if I do that, then there's no room for God because I'm pretty all-consuming of myself. I'm all-demanding of myself. So what he says is, is that blessed are the pure and, pure and heartful, they will see God. Now, that's a little confusing when we think in terms of seeing God. Partly, if, if we look at that literally, how do you see God? It's not so much seeing God as much as it's the idea of seeing God at work. So when you, are, when you are pure in the sense of your motive, when your motive is truly to serve the Lord and to serve your fellow man, then what happens is, is that your vision is cleansed. And when our vision is cleansed, we are truly able to see God at work in a way that other people cannot see. And you see, that's why sometimes it's very difficult to explain to somebody why it is that you take the perspective of life that you do, where you see God at work and they don't. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you're trying to help them understand that, you know, God, God is at work. God is doing his thing and his thing for us is loving. And very often people will look around and they say, well, I'm not seeing a whole lot of loving. Well, I'm not seeing a whole lot of difference that God is making. What kind of God is that anyway? See, that, that's the difficulty in sharing that with the world. Yeah, Brenda. How often does any human being do one thing for one reason only? The question is, how often does any human being do anything for one reason only? That is the perfect segue into what I want to put on the board. Thank you so much. I was hoping somebody would do that. Okay, so let's talk about it. All right, so what are some things that we would say are good things we would do for other people and or for God? What are some things that we do? Helping people in need, whether it's transportation or uh, providing some, providing food or what other kind of help, doing something for them. Okay, providing so I'm just putting down providing and helping. Okay, that's, that would be one thing. Okay, what else? Things we do for other people and things we do for God. Pray. What? Who? Pray. What? Pray. 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 We pray. All right. We pray. Have compassion. That kind of fits in this. All right. So we can say compassion. 
as the tone maybe in which we do that, okay? Maybe compliments to make them feel better? Compliments or praise people. Teach. Comfort. Teach. Somebody said teach. What else? Things we do for each other and things we do for God. Forgive. Forgive. Oh, forgive. Forget that. Yeah. Forgive. Okay. Forgive. Worship. Oh, worship. How about give? And trying to understand. Trying to understand. Listen. Listen and understand. Okay. Listen. You mean as opposed to listen for whatever the answer is you want to give, right? Okay. Listen and understand. Okay. All right. So you got this pretty good list. All right. Now, when you think in terms of all those things, and there's like 50 million more, why do we do them? Why do you do them? Pardon? Okay. So we do them because the why we do them because we love them most of the time. Right. And, uh, and what we love God. Okay. Why else? Anything else? Makes us feel good. Makes us feel good. Most of the time. Duty. Hmm. Duty. 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 How about God loves us? Yeah. How about what? God loves us. I mean, we do those things because God loves us? Oh, okay. And along with that, I'm saved to serve. Along with that, yes, I'm saved. That's a good reason. And so when you do all those things and you do them for the reasons that are there and maybe 20 others, what outcome do you hope will come as a result of your doing those things? Improve your relationships. Yeah. Improve your what? Improve my relationship <coughs> with whomever. Okay, so I'm hoping that there'll be a plus in the relationship department, right? Yes. Okay, and I'm kind of bummed out if there isn't. What else? Outcomes you hope for. Yeah. They'll see God through you. They'll see others will see God. Okay. Uh, what do we hear about almost every Sunday from Pastor Coleman in a sermon or at the offering or anything else where he's talking about the generosity of the congregation? He says, you have done what? You have made, made a difference. That's another outcome that we hope for. Anything else? Yeah. I think when we use our God-given talents, abilities, and skills, and that is even in seeing, you know, having, seeing how to spend your time for the, for the glory of God, uh -huh. I think it is very cathartic, and it makes you feel good, and it adds to people thriving so that they can keep on giving and doing more and more. So it makes you feel good, you're doing the work of the Lord, and it makes you feel good, and you're sharing that with others. So I guess the outcome is that we, we hope it makes us feel good. Okay. I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell. I couldn't fit everything you said in the little square that I have on the board here. Yeah, but, with the, but that's a good point. All right. Now, let, let, so let's just kind of, and there again, there probably are six or seven other things that we, we could sort of add in terms of the outcomes that we hope for. Now, the question is, what happens if none of those happens? 
See, what happens if here's all the things I'm doing and I have legitimate reasons for doing it, but none of those things, none of the outcomes that I'm hoping for or looking for happen. In fact, what if it gets worse before it gets better? And what if it appears from my eyeballs and my perspective that the thing that I wanted to have happen becomes a, a casualty of unintended consequences? Like the, there's a book somebody wrote one time called When Helping Hurts. It's an interesting book. It was, I think it's several years old. It talks about the, some of the studies they've done on people when they go into uh, third world countries and try to help. And, but the way that they help ends up undermining. The, the kind of help is not spiritual help. It's not, it tends to be more throwing large sums of money into a, a society without necessarily having the social structure to support it and then sustain it. Okay, that's what that book's about. But it is kind of interesting that sometimes the, the, the why we did it and the what we did turned out not to uh, manifest itself in the outcome we were looking for. And so the problem is, is that if I put all my eggs in this basket as to the reason why I'm doing it, and then it's not working out, what happens to my motivation in doing it? Oh, because of your resentment. Oh, you bet. And I begin to think and wonder, is it really worth it to do it? What happens is my motives become skewed. So I think the issue, Brenda, is not so much that somehow I can't have self-serving reasons for doing what I do, right? No, I, I, I would agree with you. Nobody is perfectly or 100% altruistic. There's probably always going to be a little bit of how does this help me feel better? How does this help me? Okay. But the issue would be what, where's the primary motivation? And then what happens if that caves in, do I just stop doing it? Or is there something greater going on than just my ability to see the results that I'm looking for? And that's the point I'm trying to make with the beloved life principle number 10, is that God's gift of love fuels our desire to serve without what's in it for me. Now, you know, what's in it for me sounds, and I'm not trying to do this. I'm not trying to sound like that it would be from a selfish perspective. Okay. I mean, they're always going to be a little bit of that. And we ask God for his forgiveness. And what does he do? He forgives us. And sometimes he kind of gives us a little God smack to sort of get, you know, our, our attitude in the right place, that sort of thing. By the way, God smack is now a permanent part of my uh, vocabulary. It may show up in a sermon sometime. And if it does, the only people that will know what I'm talking about is you all people. Yeah. Be very good. What, what, what is he talking about? But sometimes what happens with what's in it for me is that we are tempted to limit the serving that we do because we look at what is going on with it and we say, nothing's happening. Nobody's changing. They're not any more spiritual today than they were five weeks ago. And where that really hits us a lot is in prayer. Some of us have probably been, pr been praying for certain people in our lives for years and years and years and years and years. Well, has any change happened as a result of that? That you can see? See, that's the difference. When we're pure in heart, 
we see things that other people don't see. We see God at work in ways that other people don't see. And even if we don't see God at work in ways that other people can't see, we trust that he is at work. We trust it. And we don't deter ourselves or limit ourselves over here simply because we don't see this. And that's because we're not primarily motivated by this. We're primarily motivated by this. And I think to some degree, we have to kind of remind ourselves of that and maybe perhaps remind each other that when the, hard, when the road gets hard, when it seems that things are getting worse before they get better, and it's even hard for us to see that they might even get better, that's when we need to, I think, encourage each other and be able to say, you know, God, he's, he makes these promises and he doesn't, he doesn't renege on those promises. And how we know that is Easter, of course. I mean, that's like the ultimate. Okay. We had a few hands up. Richard, you had your hand up. Well, I guess this whole thing is that the analogy that I can make is that as a middle school teacher. Yeah, middle school teacher. Okay, everybody says, oh, you poor thing. Oh, you poor thing. And I'm like, I'm blessed. And then you talk to people and say, well, you know, those students ever come back and thank you. Yeah, rarely. Yeah. You know. It does happen, and mm-hmm. it's rare, but it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I guess, being in the circumstances taught me, keep doing good. Keep doing it, yeah. And don't, God's got the outcome sure. in his hands, so yeah. I don't have to worry about That's it. That's right. Isn't it nice, though, to have somebody say, what a difference you made in my life? Yeah. I mean, that's actually pretty nice, all right? Yeah, and we, we need to celebrate that when it happens. It's also not a bad idea to teach our kids to do that. Because sometimes I think that gratitude's sort of taken the hit these days, and, and I wonder how much teaching of that has gone on. So that's not a bad idea to do that, okay? But ultimately, that's not why we're doing it, right? We're doing it for a greater reason. And the greater reason will sustain you in a way that the temporal reasons won't. Does that make sense? Okay. Somebody, yeah. It came to me that an outcome we might hope for, we want to do and give what we think the person might need. Yes. And it might be totally something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, have to, you have to be really open to that. Yeah. And an example, a simple example in the mission field, the first year we went to Belize, we knew we would be visiting several widow ladies who were very poor. Yeah. So we thought, we'll take them hand lotion. Yeah. No, they needed beans and rice. Yeah. Okay. So to some degree, it's, it's being willing to, in a humble way, submit the right answer that you think is the right answer to what that person really needs. And that yeah. may be the reason why your outcome isn't what you yeah. expected. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's the learning curve for us, too, is that here was the outcome I want. I wanted again, kind of I wanted. Right. Yeah. But I wanted for a good reason. I wanted it for them. Right. But still, it was I wanted. (laughs) And so that's where that, you know, we get a little twisted up on that. Yeah, back at the back. Hand up. I was earlier. I was going to say faith sharing is faith building. Faith sharing is faith building. And 
uh, what's it do for me? Well, that's what sharing your faith does is it builds your own faith. Yes, yeah. So despite what the outcome is, you're planting that little seed. That's right. The next person comes around and waters it a little bit. Yeah. So I, I feel positive that, hey, I shared that faith. That's right. And That's maybe right. somebody else will come around that time will just be just perfect. Mm -hmm. That seed will sprout. Yeah, and we kind of talked about that last time in terms of Sandy's experience with her with her friend. It it again, it's kind of a well, not kind of. It's definitely a humbling thing, right? To take that perspective, and I think that sometimes the outcome that we, is unexpected when we are engaged in doing these things for the right reason, right? When we're, when we're engaged in that, is that God provides an outcome that you never saw coming. Isn't that amazing? Is that sometimes the very thing that you work so hard, oh, I just know that this will help in these 10 ways. And none of those things happen, right? Not because they were bad things. It's because God already had in mind how this was going to roll. And maybe those 10 things will happen, but maybe they're like actually in God's numbers, number 90 through 100 instead of 1 through 10. So sometimes it's just that we get in our own way that way. Someone had their hand at the back also, yes? Oh, I was just uh, thinking that, um, and that usually gets me in trouble. But, uh, you know, I won't repeat that on the thing that you just said, so yeah, go ahead. If, you, if you're doing anything for anybody and expecting some type of outcome, well then, what are you doing? I mean, to me, that's like you're playing God. You just have to, whatever you do, whatever I try to do, I leave the results up to him. Yeah. And let, you know, and if it's something good happens, then I think that's what was supposed to happen. Yeah. It, I, and I think that's really a learned and, to some degree, mature perspective to take. And, and I think that over time, maybe we all kind of come to that place, all right? But by the same token, I, sometimes what happens is when we're putting resources into something, we sort of would like a little evidence that it works. And maybe you've run across this evidence-based work, you know, this in the medical field and certainly in the counseling field, this is a big deal, is it puts your time and your energy and your money into something, and then let's see the evidence that it really actually worked, that it paid off. To some degree, there, there's still room for that, right? That, that's not a bad uh, perspective to take. But when it comes to spiritual stuff, very often because of the world that we live in and because of the resilience of human beings to sometimes resist the very thing that we're, uh, that we're trying to give them, you don't always see the outcome in the immediate way that very often we want to see. Okay? Does that make sense? All right, well, let's keep going. Oh, some, somebody else? Oh, I was just wondering, suppose the people or the group is just not ready, but like was mentioned previously, you're planting the seed. Yeah. And when they're ready, yeah. then, it, then it happens. Yeah. But you can't force it. That's correct. So a little bit of... Um, you know, and if you even think, use the analogy of the planting the seed, sometimes God will use you to prepare the soil in order for the seed to be planted. So if you've ever done soil work in Texas, uh, particularly in this part of Texas, you know, you get about one inch of soil and about 10 feet of clay 
you're going to have to do some real what? Some real soil work, right? So sometimes you're going to work in your life with clods, and you have to be prepared for what you're going to do with clods. And who knows, maybe any one of us might be the clods that God is working with as well. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. I think we exhausted that one pretty well, didn't we? All right. All right, now the next one then, he says, is blessed or beloved. Beloved are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, the children of God part is better translated as doers of God's work. Doers of God's work. Because when you think about it in terms of what God's work is, he did what? He reconciled the world to himself through Christ, and now he... He, uh, he gives us the opportunity or he gives us the duty of uh, the ministry of reconciliation. If you want to just jot down a scriptural reference to that, I'm sorry I didn't put it in here, but it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. And that's very specific. In those verses, Paul talks very specifically about the idea that God reconciled the world unto himself through Christ. And now as his ambassadors, we are now a part of that. And then that's part of our life with each other to share the good news of Jesus with each other with the world of that reconciliation, but also to be involved in reconciliation. So when we talk about uh, peacemakers, what he's really talking about is those that are engaging in reconciliation. So beloved life principle number 11 is peacemakers do the hard work, H-A-R-D, hard work of making peace with their own faults and then help others to find peace with each other. It, this recalls Jesus' words in Matthew 7. We'll see, we'll see that later in our, in our study, where Jesus says, you know, if you want to help the, the brother with, with a speck in his eye, then what do you do? How do you do that? Remove the log in your eye. Yeah. You deal with your own stuff, right? Okay. And then you will what? See clearly to be able to help the brother or the sister with the speck in their eye. So it's not like we just walk around and we go, oh, I see a speck, I see a speck, I see a speck, and have no response to that. See, the response is that we are there to help each other with specks. But in order to do it, you better deal with the log in your own eye before you do that. Right? Yeah, Bob. Yeah, I just wanted to put on there the sons of God. We are called the sons of God. Yes. We are the adopted children of God once we are justified. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And the way I look at the Beatitudes, the first four Beatitudes are those that are humble and meek and gentle and mercy and, uh, and mourn for their sins. Yes. Those are the ones that are seeking a Savior yes. and seeking redemption. Yes. The last three Beatitudes are the ones that have been justified and are working out That's justification by being merciful yes. and peacemakers. Yes. And then the last one, the, the verse 10, is how the world looks at you. Yeah. So it really, it really lays out for us kind of that sequence of the attitude of the one seeking uh, righteousness or seeking that relationship. But because we already have it in Christ, then how does that translate into 
the way that it affects your life. Is that, that's kind of my take on what you're saying. Very good. Very good. So it, it is hard work though. Is it not to do log work in terms of yourself? Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you go about doing that? By the way, this would be a good little how to a moment in our class since we all kind of know what the verse is, but I'm curious, how do you do that? How do you do the log work where you're looking at your own uh, flaws and your own faults and your own stuff? How do you do that to where then you're better equipped or better positioned to be able to help the, the, your brother or sister with the tiny little speck in their life? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, it's, it's being in settings like this, reading scripture and just being in a, a setting where you're focusing more on God and learning more, strengthening your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And it makes you better with others. Better with others. Yeah. But but how does it help you with your own flaws? Like, how do you find out what your flaws are? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> what? We, we, we have some people in here that are now pointing at other people. Oh, my heavens. All right. I mean, see, like, because God, God is kind of like, well, he's in heaven and he's all those things, but he's also with us. But, you know, we don't really necessarily promote the idea that God sort of has his voice and he speaks to you and says, here's the 10 things. So I'm guessing that it's probably through other humans, right? Trial and error, and and that usually means just error, right? Yeah, Dan? Well, you could, when 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 you're criticizing somebody, you're judging somebody, then you realize, hey, I do that too. And so is that a regular occurrence for you? I'm just kind of thinking, you know. Like, I'm thinking, oh, I, I probably ought to try that sometime. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm just sort of asking how those, how that you become more aware of the log in your own eye, and then what do you do with it? So how do you become aware of that? Well, sometimes scripture, when you're reading scripture, it, you know, sometimes oh. you can hear a verse for years, and then another time you read it, and it's like, oh, wow. That yeah. speaks to you. Okay, so I hadn't even thought of that. Read the Bible. That's a pretty good, <laughs> that was a pretty good way to do it. Yeah, that's a good, because we get convicted, yeah. How about just staying mindful? How, being mindful of it? Yeah, being maybe a little bit um, taking perspective, all right? Have you ever noticed that sometimes the things that you don't like in other people are actually things you don't like in yourself. You ever notice that? And so one of the things that you can do is when you find yourself fixated on the flaws of somebody else, have the presence of mind. Maybe that's that mindful idea. Okay. But have the presence of mind to sort of ask yourself, uh, what is it that is in that other person that you don't like about yourself? And that when we see it in that other person, it's like, whoa, whoa. And, but the temptation is to only look at that person and not even think maybe that there might be some aspect of that in you. Like, this happens in parenting all the time, doesn't it? You see some characteristic of your child that you don't really like in yourself. And you, in fact, didn't even want anybody to know this was about you, right? You didn't want that. And then when it showed up, it's like, oh my gosh, now everybody knows. 
So it's just, it, it's, it's ways to get at that, all right? Sometimes our prejudices and our biases can reveal the flaws in thinking and the flaws in the conclusions that we draw, and it's based on our bias. It's based on our our prejudice. And even though people would say and would ask the question like in a group like this, oh, how many of you are prejudiced? How many of you are biased? We'd be too embarrassed to raise our hands, right? But it's in that thinking often that... uh, that we can discover those, uh, those flaws. So part of it is, is that, okay, so let's, let's pretend that you have found five flaws in your life about yourself. All right, great. Awesome. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with those? Pray about it. Hide them. You have your work cut out for this one. Oh, brother. Okay, well, let's pretend that you hide it and it didn't work because that was actually one of your flaws is that you tried to hide your flaws. All right. What do you do with it? How do you make peace with your flaws? How do you make peace with your shortcomings? How do you make peace with the log in your eyes so that you can then see clearly to help your brother with the speck in his eye? Repentance. Yeah. Repentance. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Admit that you have it, right? And then you take it to God and you know that you're forgiven for it, right? Now, sometimes the problem with the flaw is that we keep doing it. Because maybe it's kind of more part of your personality, really, actually, than it is some choice or some action on your part. But you still, in terms of asking for forgiveness, you're aware of the fact that sometimes the thing that you think isn't that big a deal to you is, in fact, very annoying to other people. And so when that happens, then forgiveness is part of what would empower you to make peace with it, right? So that then your vision is clear to be able to see the speck in the brother's eye and be able to help that brother with the speck. Have you ever like wanted to help a brother or sister with their speck and they didn't even know that they needed the help that you were going to offer? <laughs> yeah, that would be another one of those flaws. Okay, let's go to the last one here, right? So he says, blessed are those who are persecuted, verse 10, because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That does not sound like a very happy outcome to me, right? Because of righteousness. Does persecution go on today because of people having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And and good thing it only happens in foreign countries. Right? All right. So now we kind of deal with the direct and indirect ways that persecution often occurs. So we think of direct persecution as opposition from unbelieving people. So it might be in the form of mockery or false accusations. 
In some areas, your property gets confiscated. You could be thrown into prison. And some people are even killed for their faith. Another one is in some countries, in some cultures, you are totally shunned from your family. You're cut off. If you become a Christian, then that's the same as disowning your family and your family disowns you. And they cut you off from everything, not just uh, your uh, inheritance and all the birthrights and all that sort of stuff. But it's literally the love. It's, you are to them as debt. That would be a little bit, uh, I don't know that we would necessarily experience that in our, our country. But there's also indirect persecution. And maybe in some sense, indirect persecution is a little bit more of what we uh, are starting to see more of in our, in our uh, society. Indirect is encroachment or an erosion from social work and home entities that invade our spiritual space. So an example of the social would be your child's sports activity team sets its practice or game schedule for Sunday mornings with the rule of no practice, no play. Does that happen today? Yes, Yes, it's big time in Plano and not just Plano, but other areas where sports, a kid's sports has become the thing. Now, is there anything wrong with kids' sports? No, kids' sports is a good thing, right? Teaches a lot of teamwork and, and, you know, loyalty and you learn your skills and all those kinds of things. But the encroachment part and, and then the subsequent erosion part is that people are having now to choose between their children in Sunday school and church on a regular basis and children being a part of the team. And then what do we do if, uh oh, my child doesn't get to play or even maybe my child isn't even welcome on the team because Sunday morning is primo practice or game time. Okay. Somebody had their hand up. No. Okay. The next one, uh, another example is in your work setting where your employer demands that you bill a customer for hours that you didn't earn or whose business practices are not consistent with your Christian faith, right? Now, we're seeing a little bit of that now with some of the businesses where the business owner chooses not to make a wedding cake, for example, for a a couple who, a gay couple who are getting married, because that owner feels like that that is celebrating something that in his Christian faith or Christian walk, he can't do. So we're starting to see uh, some of that, uh, some of that sort of thing. But um, we're also seeing, and this has probably been around for a long time, is when the, the business practices are not ethical or Christian in that sense, right? Godly. And the, uh, the employee says, I'm not going to do it. And then in the process of not doing it, that person loses their job or gets some sort of demotion, something like that. And then the last one or another one would be in in your home life is where your daughter moves in. It could be daughter or son moves in with a non-Christian or someone who's not church going. And then she tells you this is what people do in order to find out if they're compatible for marriage, which again is the logic that people use today, right? It, it doesn't mean it works. It's just the logic that people use today, right? Now, in some cases, it does work. And, and so then it's hard to sort of make that case for the idea that it's always wrong. Yeah. Both of our daughters married non-Christians. Mm-hmm. And both of them are not 
very strong Christians. Yeah. So very active in their churches. So sometimes it goes the other way, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. But again, it's this idea that of that encroachment. And so the point is, we have, we, part of our Christian walk is that we count the cost. There is a cost, right? And sometimes the cost is that it costs you your your position in, uh, on the team. Sometimes it costs you your job. Sometimes it costs you with peace in the family. Sometimes it costs us in ways that we're not prepared for. And yet what Jesus always talks about, this idea that you count the cost, count the cost, count the cost. Yes, ma'am. Sometimes you just have to push back. Sometimes we just have to push back. Okay, one, in one specific case, years ago, medical records asked me to do something. And I kept saying no, and they kept pushing, and I said no. And I finally said, I pointed out to them what they were asking me to do. Mm-hmm. You are asking me to lie on a chart. Yeah. And sometimes when you point out to them what they're asking you to do, mm-hmm. they back off. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice, because you're highlighting the unethical part of it or the sinful part of it, how, whichever way that goes. And exa- another example of that in a different setting would be perhaps where a coach pressures a teacher to change the grade of the star athlete, or it doesn't have to be the star athlete. It could be some kid that they don't want to have in their class again next year (laughs) because he's such a pain to have to be around and he has a lot of troubles that they say, I don't want that. I don't want to deal with that kid again. So I'm going to pass him so he can go to the next grade. And that kid then has done a disservice. Now, again, I'm not an educator. And so I'm likely to make all the educators in here upset about that. But, but the reality is it's the same pressure. Is it not? Is it not? Yeah. So the subtlety in which that persecution can occur is way more frequent than we think. And sometimes to do the right thing and to do it for the right reason will cost you. And to some degree, we have to be prepared to handle the cost. Because that's part of the Christian walk that we have and becomes part of then that whole thing that we talked about before is that when you handle it that way and you do it gracefully and respectfully, even though it really hurts to do it, we're always surprised at how many people are watching how we handle those moments. And sometimes the way that we handle that that unjust moment is exactly the moment when the seed gets planted for that person to say, wow, that was amazing that you did that. I don't know how you did that. How did you do that? And that's your moment, see, to be able to give witness to the greater motive that you have for doing what you do. And frankly, in those moments, it doesn't feel good, right? In fact, it feels lousy. But that's the, that's the higher plane from which we come. Does that make sense? Good, good, good. Yeah. I feel like in the last few years, um, Christians as a whole have been attacked 
like in the news that mm -hmm. they're homophobes, they're bigots, they're prejudiced, they're, you know, right. we're, everybody's put in a group yeah. uh, because of our moral beliefs or whatever. Sure. And you hear that more and more. Yeah. We're used to never I know. hear that. Yeah. Yeah. It's in some sense open season. It probably has always been because Jesus is talking about this like 2000 years ago. Okay. But I do think that with social media and some of the other ways now that people promote their own agenda and their own beliefs and their opinions about other people, I mean, it's brutal now. And nowadays you can do the right thing and you can do it exactly the way it's supposed to be. And all somebody has to do is go online and paint a different story. It's all fake news, but guess what? Half the world believes it because that there's not a sense of discernment and not a sense of putting the best construction on something and doing it in a mindful way. It's all about the, you know, whatever is the most, um, the most uh, outrageous uh, a story. Well, then that's what's going to get believed. And even if it isn't believed, it's going to get spread. So that's part of the cost you see that we're, we're, we think about, but it should not deter us from, again, hoping for a good outcome, but not putting all our eggs in that basket. We do what we do, but we know why we do it. And at the end of the day, we know where the blessing will be. Yeah, somebody, did you have your hand? Yeah. When you talk about, you know, when they say, you know, she says, this is what everybody does now. They yeah. live together to make sure it's going to work. Sure. A, friend of mine, a lot do, anyway. They do. A friend of mine that I used to work with, she said the same thing, that she was going to move in with the guy she'd been dating to make sure it works. Yeah. I told her, and I didn't say it mean, but I said, well, if, I said, she goes, that's the norm. I said, well, but then why is the divorce rate over 50%? Yeah. And she goes, well, but you have to learn that you can live together. She got divorced in year six. Yeah, I know. It, the, the, it's a delusion. When, if people live together with the idea that we're going to do this in order to see if it works, partly because, and, and everybody says this, and everybody that's married knows this, being married is different than living together. Yeah. <laughs> it's way different. And there's extra stuff involved that there's no way that you can um, be uh, uh, aware of until you go there. You just, and that's one of the aspects of it. So, you know, that's something that sometimes people, sometimes people have to learn the hard way and there's not any other easy way to do it. Okay. So God in his wisdom protects us from that, but just because he protects us from it doesn't mean that we want to get protected. Right. <laughs> sometimes we will just want to do it our own way. Okay. So the beloved life principle number 12 for today is suffering for your faith connects you to those who have served before you. See, the prophets a long time ago, they're presenting God's word. And when they're telling God's word to the people around, that didn't make them very popular. Some of the prophets got stoned to death. Some of them got run out of town. Hardly any of them had friends. Well, that's a nice recruitment, isn't it? Right? <laughs> Here, get involved in church work and you will have no friends, right? This reminds you, though, that you are not alone. That's one of the hardest things about when you're persecuted or when you're pressured is that you feel all alone. You feel like nobody, nobody else is going through what you're going through. And to some degree, it could be you're the only one, right? But you feel alone. And this reminds us that we're not alone. 
Others have walked the same path that we're walking and others have gone to glory as we will someday also. But, but we need not fear it from the perspective as if to say that there's absolutely that God is not work at work or God is not present in that. Okay. All right. Let's close our prayer. Heavenly father, we thank you so much that, uh, uh, once again, your word speaks to us in such a powerful way. It reminds us that you are with us always as you have promised. And the resurrection that we celebrated in Easter reminds us of that as well. And so as we deal with the aspects of life that sometimes are not fair, sometimes they're unjust, sometimes the outcomes that, that we have, which are all good and godly, the, we just don't see them. They're not working the way we think it ought to. That's when we are reminded by your word that you are with us always, that you're working things out in your will and you're working things out according to your timing. So increase our faith, Lord, help us to grow in, in trusting that. And then as we trust in it, uh, give us a sense of confidence and faith that we need to, uh, to be your light and to be your salt in the world. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, as we uh, go our separate ways. Uh, give us uh, a mindfulness. Give us a sense of, of, uh, of your presence until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com with your question or comment, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming episode. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement, our tagline is sharing his light. And that means sharing the light of Christ through worship, study of his word, and loving our neighbor, whomever or wherever they may be. That's the reason we're bringing this podcast to you in your home, on your commute, to your weekly Bible study, your personal devotion, whatever. We want to share his light with you. If this podcast has brought any value to you in some way, whether it is getting to know God and his word better, looking at a particular message in the Bible a different way, inspiring you or giving you some motivation throughout your week. If you want to help us in our endeavor to share his light, please take just a few minutes to go to our podcast page in the iTunes store and write us a review. Not only will your review provide us here at Messiah with valuable feedback we can use to help improve the podcast and better deliver his message to you, but your review will also help us climb the rankings and spread this podcast and Christ's word to more people. If you want to know more about Messiah's Upper Room podcast or Messiah Lutheran Church in general, you can visit our website at messiahlutheranpodcast.com where you can find links to all of our previous episodes, notes used during each class that are available for download, and where you can find us on the social networks. There, we also have a subscribe section that will point you directly to where you can subscribe and receive Messiah's Upper Room podcast each week through iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, basically whatever your podcast catching application of choice may be. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.